400 of the Survival Podcast. I like numeric patterns because I'm a weirdo, and now we're at 30. That's a nice even number. And we got a great show to mark that. I'm bringing Blue Lotus on in just a minute. I met this gal at, I think it was it was either Exit and Build or Greater Reset, one of the two of John Bush's things over a year ago or close to a year ago now. And I uh, just was really impressed with the work that she's doing up in the Northeast near Philadelphia. They're basically guerrilla gardeners. And as you can see, I'm wearing their shirt today. And the philosophy of the vigilantes is plants don't need permission, and neither do you. That's what we're going to be talking about today when we bring our special guest on. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is John Pugliano with the Wealth Steading Podcast. John's a great dude, been around with us going all the way back to 2010, so that's 13 years We've been working with John. He is an amazing investment manager. He, you know, a lot of guys go into like investment management, financial analysis and stuff, and they just, they answer an ad in the paper or something. John is a self-made millionaire through his own investing, and he refused to take clients until he had hit that metric. He's been doing things a long time. He has a really great podcast. Again, it's called the Wealth Setting Podcast. Comes out once or twice a week, 15 to 20 minutes long. Totally worth checking out. Check him out today at wealthsetting.com if you're not already subscribed. And remember, he is on Fountain. So if you want to tip him with Bitcoin, I think we slowly converted him over to Bitcoin. You can do that. Anyway, next up today, Canine Academy, Joel Riles, great personal friend. The source of our newest dog in our household, Bellamy, who is a Malinois Shepherd Cross. Uh, Joel put together this amazing thing called Canine Academy. It's available at canineacademy.us. It teaches you how to train your dog. If you talk to any dog trainer, what they're going to tell you is what they really do is train people. The dogs are easy. You give your dog to a professional trainer, and in like 30 minutes, they have your dog doing everything you want it to do. They give it back to you. You can't keep it that way. Why? Because they know how to handle and communicate with the dogs. So with Canine Academy, you have a variety of different courses that you can roll in. You can take just the Canine Academy basics, which is right here on your screen if you're watching the video. That is where I recommend everybody at least consider starting. The core basics allow you to do everything else, whether you want a livestock guardian dog. You just want a homestead dog that doesn't eat your chickens. You want a protection dog. No matter what it is, a service dog, you always start with the core basics. And I don't know a better trainer uh, than Joel Riles with Fortress Canine and CanineAcademy.us. With that, let's go ahead and bring on our special guest right now. Uh, Blue Lotus. Blue Lotus, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm stoked to have you on. I want to start off with, um, instead of just going straight into the topic here, what's, what's the, the, the Blue Lotus um, elevator background story? Most people I find to get into any of the stuff we talk about, they're not sitting in high school, like in study hall, spacing out and going, you know what? When I grew up, I'm going to be a vigilante gorilla gardener with a plant stand. And like, this is what I'm gonna, like, they always like kind of come from somewhere else and they find something that, that they become passionate about and they follow it. And that's how they sink their teeth into it. So, what, what was your background before you were doing what you're doing and how did you find this? So, I mean, I've always kind of done things my own way. I'm an artist, I've never quite fit in anywhere and I've questioned a lot of stuff. Um, and I would say it's 
maybe five or six years ago is when I really started immersing myself in research. And I can thank James Corbett for a lot of that, which I think a lot of us can. Uh, the Federal Reserve video actually sent me into a tailspin. Um, and it was just kind of like a progression after that of just needing to devour everything, any knowledge that I could find. I just wanted to know truth. I wanted to know what was going on around me. And as I was doing that, I started accessing some higher spiritual truths and just learning more about who I am and realized that I fell in love with gardening. Um, I was actually inspired by Ron Finley, who is a gorilla gardener out in LA. I saw a lot of videos about him and it inspired me to start gardening. And then as a result of that, it inspired me to start gorilla gardening um, just because it not only was gardening healing for me, but I saw the benefits that it had to others. So it was kind of like a merging of a few worlds in my mind uh, that got me to this place now. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people uh, have taken inspiration from Ron Finley yeah. in particular. I did a presentation, I think, all the way back in 2014 called Taking Permaculture or Gen Ag Forward. And he was one of the case studies that I pointed out that this can be done a small scale, large scale. And I just loved his entire attitude of like, I'm just going to do this anyway. And yeah. clearly that inspired you. But you, you kind of started out with Corbett. Right. I'm amazed at how many people in the Regen Ag space, the permaculture space, just general gardeners, homesteaders, they actually started from a point of becoming aware financially right. of this, the grand illusion. Like it's, it's old this time, right? Like the wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain, the Emerald city, the, the golden road, that's all the story of banking. Right. And even back then, even though it wasn't as bad, it was pretty bad. And this is a cool thing. A lot of people don't know this in the original uh, wizard of Oz, Dorothy's slippers were not Ruby. I know they were silver. That Silver slippers on the so golden road to the Emerald City with the man behind the curtain. Not really what we're here to talk about specifically. <laughs> but, you know, that is how old this story of financial illusion is. And I think that it's only gotten worse. Right. And when that gets pulled back, you start thinking, oh, crap. What if everything goes south? And then you start thinking, well, I need to make sure I can clothe myself, that I can have clean water, yep. I can have food, and I can have shelter. Like that becomes – because those are like – the core of your survival needs. And you got health sanitation, which is just tied in with the others and some level of security. So, so many people find out how vulnerable we are. And then they go to two places, the freak out zone, the bad place, the dark hole, or what can I do? And so to me, that seems like what happened to you. You decided yeah. follow this path. What can I do? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I, I had not, ever gardened until about five years ago. I hadn't put a seed in the ground. My family was shocked when I just was so enamored by it. And I don't, I never do things on a small scale. So it was one of those things like if I'm going to garden, I'm going to garden. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first year having this idea that like, I have to feed the neighborhood. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in the world and I need to be able to provide. And I'm really glad that I didn't have to because I was just learning and that really wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Uh, so I was relieved that, you know, the world was okay for at least another year um, as I could just learn and develop my skill a little bit. And, you know, now I've gotten to the point where I am helping feed the neighborhood. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's interesting because I always tell people when they said they're going to buy like a survival seed bank or something like, well, are you gardening now? Or are you producing your own food now? Because if you are having some reserve seed, okay, that makes sense. But when they're like, no, I'm like, so you're going to starve because our 
everybody's first season sucks. And then yeah. here's another little thing. Everybody's first season in a new environment, a new situation sucks. I grew right. up gardening Pennsylvania up north of you in Schuylkill County up near Pottsville. Okay. And I knew all about gardening in the Northeast and that wonderful Pennsylvania Dutch soil and everything. And then I'm like, when we moved here to Texas, I'm like, I'm going to plant a garden. And it was like, yeah, good luck with that. Right. right. It's going to be 115 degrees today and you got black clay. Right. And so I had to learn and adapt. So we all have to learn and adapt. Now, kind of your first step was you set up front yard garden and a trade stand. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So I had actually tried to start a community garden up at my local park and yeah. it had been approved by um, the rec board. We had been working on it all summer. We'd been building prototypes of like raised beds we were going to put up there. We had all kinds of plans to expand throughout the years. We had gotten all the way to the end stage and somehow the borough got involved and found out that the rec board didn't communicate. I don't know all the logistics. I had to go to a meeting and just do a formality, a presentation, but somehow the borough decided to remove most of the beds we were going to have up there. And it just so many things kind of happened, but it fell through and it didn't work out. And around the same time, I got a letter from that same township to rip or to deal with the weeds in my front yard. Yeah. And so I was, I ripped them up and I had this nice fresh patch in front of me. Um, and a local gardener had just donated to me, about 150 tomato plants. Oh, wow. Didn't know what to do with. I tried to sell them. I still had them. And yeah. I was just, I honestly, I've said this before, like I, I channel my inner Ron Finley and I was just like, well, here we go. So I just planted about 50 tomatoes in my front yard and I put a free sign out and that was the first year. And I waited and nobody said anything. Nobody complained. So I was like, cool, I'm in. So mm -hmm. the next year I kind of upgraded and then I put a row of eggplant and a row of peppers and then I put some Swiss chard up the walkway and I just kept adding on and adding on. Uh, and so my friend helped me build a stand out of pallets and then we would put all the fresh stuff out there every day. Um, so people just kind of came, took what they needed. They could pick it right from the sidewalk if they wanted. Um, and then the third year pandemic started mm. and that was when I just felt like you know, it's great to give people things, but I want to teach people that we can take care of each other and that yeah. we can benefit each other because I, I love to give things. But I was like, you know, I don't actually get anything back either. And it's great to be able to show that, like, we can provide for each other's needs. And I also felt like, who knows what's going to happen to money? You know, I'm, I'm a firm, like, believer in just trade. I really love trade. I love having a physical thing. I give you this, you give me this time, whatever it is that we're offering each other. And I just feel like we have more than we know that we can share with each other. So I converted the the stand to a trade stand. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. My battery. I'm going to plug my computer in one moment. All right. All right. No worries. <laughs> I thought I'll it was people with your pictures. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. No, no, no. <laughs> so um, I went and I converted it to a trade stand, which I called this for that. You leave, take this, leave that. Um, okay. and so people started bringing perishable goods, whatever they had to offer. And that's just been evolving ever since then. It's just been growing and expanding with the community. And it's honestly been quite beautiful just to see the interactions and the way that the community has stepped up and honestly taking care of each other. You know, um, 
I have this philosophy that you have to prime pumps that you need to give before you take. And that's always how things that are successful seem to start. I used to annoy the crap out of my wife with that, with just our Berkey water filter is like, well, if you're going to take a bottle of water out of it, you got to put a bottle of new water into the top before you take. So it never runs out. And that's kind of what you did by, you know, instead of let's sell everything, let's just give it away. And then you build momentum and then you can kind of move over to a trade or a market based thing. But when you're trying to start something completely new, I mean, every internet company that's been successful in the last 20 years has demonstrated that they all have like a freemium or something, some sort of onboard, and then you can move into more of a market. And I think that's important because it gets people involved and man, don't even get me started on dealing with government and trying to do something useful. Like years ago, I got talked into going up to Montana for a thing and I was happy to go because I got to meet Dave Jackie, but it was the first public food forest in Montana. We had this big class and we're going to design it and present it. And we get there and we start talking about it. I'm like, well, how many stakeholders do we have to take into account here? Nine. And they all want something different. You know, so one wants all raised beds. Well, this is a food forest, right? And it was just, I, they got it done. I don't know how in the end. Because everybody's pulling and everybody has kind of a veto power. Like you said, the borough, like everybody's good. Borough's like, nope, not doing it. Well, why? Don't really know, but pull your weeds, right? Like, Government officials seem to excel at the word no. And it's because no one ever gets in trouble for saying no in a bureaucratic position. But you might get in trouble or have problems or have to do more work if you say yes. Right. Well, and I had just learned, you know, sometimes people don't quite appreciate things the same when they're free. Yeah. Um, And I also I did it a bit as an experiment. I wanted to give my community a chance to step up and it it worked like I was away for about a month. And when I came home, they had just been treating that stand like a food bank throughout the whole winter. It was overflowing Mm. and they were just doing it with each other. Like Mm. it just took on this really awesome, like nonverbal communication with them where the stand got so full, we had to build a second stand. And Mm. then that got so full that we had to go get bins to put on the side because people started bringing home goods and clothes and toys. And I come out there and there's just boxes waiting. I like I have to drop things off at the Goodwill or go down to the auction house because there's too much stuff. Too much like stuff. there's too much. And yeah. uh, like my pantry in my house is just overflowing. Like I, I go shopping out there every day. I bring a box before I go to the grocery store just to see what's out there. It's kind of fun. So it just it proved uh, that people can do this. Like I wanted to pull the humanity out of people yeah. and it sometimes people feel useless, you know, like, what can I do? And this makes them feel a part of it. They're part of the solution. They're interacting. They get to see the benefit. They get excited to like, see that other people are using what they brought and they're taking care of themselves. And it's just, you see so much humanity come out of this. I love being out there and just getting to know my neighbors and seeing who comes by and the energy that is in my front yard is just quite beautiful. Just just imagine if everybody did this and then who who would who would benefit and who would lose. Right. Because it sounds like it's it's gone beyond food. It's also like yeah. goods and, and things. So, like, it just seems like big companies would take a little bit of a hit and then like the average person would get a gain because clearly if everybody's like 
adding food and stuff, you must live in the farmlands and everybody's a farmer, right? It can't be that you're all doing this on little lots or something like that. Well, it's it's both. So okay. there's one side where we put produce okay. and the other side's all like canned goods and protein wow. powder and whatever someone's dropping off that day. Some people go to the local food bank, get like bring the leftovers and just load them up there. Like oh, wow. there's a lady that comes every Friday with a box. Like I know kind of the regulars now and who does what. And like the other day I realized that I think they all, they added it to the local bus route because the it's called the hopper and wow. the hopper pulls up in front and I watch people run out, grab stuff and then run back on and leave. So feel like we've we've made it now <laughs> that, that's that's pretty awesome now you mentioned when you put your first front yard garden in you, you didn't hear anything so you just kept going yeah have you had any interaction positive or negative with local like city county borough officials i mean i i'm from pa so i know there's parts of pa like this is you know monohoy city and you go across the street and it's t-berry hill and then you go it's right. new minersville and it's like people from the south i don't think can really if you've never been up there you can't grok that literally across the street a jurisdiction changes and then it does again so like have you had any issues from anything like that no i was honestly surprised and it was one of those things where i think if you do things on a large enough scale and you do it confidently people assume that you have that permission you know because it just seems like who would do that if they yeah. couldn't um but I, I had the borough have to come by one time to check something in like the downstairs apartment and they complimented it. Um, I've met someone from the EPA. They loved it. My mailman is a huge fan. Um, so, you know, so far I've honestly only had positive uh, reinforcement about it. That's so great. I'm glad that I didn't, you know, worry about that and just went for it. Yeah. I, it's the whole forgiveness is uh, much yes. easier to ask for from permission. Yes. And it's just this instinct that these people have to say no to things, right? Like, no, you can't do that. Well, why not? They don't even know why. Right. But and I had just felt like I tried to work within the system. I tried to do things through their parameters and their rules, and it it didn't work. And yeah. I just was like, I'm going to keep meeting interference. So I'm just going to do it my own way because I know this will work. And it did. So. My favorite one is, well, you'll need a permit. Well, what permit do I need? Well, I don't know. Then how can you be the person telling me no? Right. I could have worked through red tape for 10 yeah. years applying for things and filling out forms and there'd still be no garden. So so how have things grown and evolved since then? Because I know this is not just your yard anymore. Uh, so I have moved friends in to the house with me because it's a whole operation at this point. Um, so it's been really cool to have a team just helping with the gardening itself, you know, managing the stand, just meeting the neighbors, honestly, just modeling community. So it's, it's awesome because in the beginning it was me and then it was a couple of people that I met that just kind of pitched in, but it was a lot of work and, you know, this isn't like a, you know, no one's paying, this isn't a job. So it takes a lot of time. Um, but now it's, it's quite cool to have reinforcement and have people that share vision and, and a mission for what I want to do for my community. So you mentioned it pays, but it's, it's not a job. So it's not regular money. How are you monetizing some of the things that you're doing? So because I want everything to be for trade, uh, people try to pay for the produce a lot and I honestly don't let them. Okay. I want, I want them to get the concept of trade. And one day when money's not here, I want people to realize that it can be done. Like there are ways to do this. Um, but I did want to also find a way to just 
mostly reimburse because it does cost a lot, you know, to put all that out there. Yeah. So that's when I learned to can. And because I had so many tomatoes, salsa made the most sense. And then I started kind of doing soups and different things. So I created a business called Cosmic Spoon and I make cool. soups and salsas that are about 90% from my guard. There's a few things I got to throw in there. Sure. Um, and you can see it if people are able to see the vid or picture here. There's a little stand on the side of my house. I have a money box and I just put it out there and let people come buy it. Um, I just, I also sell it other places besides my porch. You know, if I can sure. do a festival or if I go somewhere, I bring them with me, sell them to friends and family. So I've got about 70 cans right, right now from this summer. I've been selling ratatouilles and tomato soups and all kinds of stuff. So, so, but the stuff you're selling from home, you're, you're not like, like out there collecting money. You're doing it on an honor system and it's, mm -hmm. it's working. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm in a bit of a small town. So there's a lot of that around here. There's honey yeah. stands. There's a produce stand almost on every corner. And there's, you know, something about that I still really appreciate. Yeah, we've been selling duck eggs for years now. And occasionally we'll have a retail customer and, like, we'll come by and pick them up. or like, we're going to be gone. And we'll throw four dozen duck eggs in the cooler with a, a, a right. jug of ice. And just say, when you, you know, when you take the eggs, throw the money in the cooler, not only has no one ever stolen it, um, they have constantly like, do you need change? No, don't worry. I got exact change. And then you go and it's, you know, they were supposed to leave yeah. you. We sell $10 a dozen for duck eggs and you're supposed to be 40 bucks or $50. There. Right. And they won't take the change. Right. And there's times like someone's taken two tomatoes and they come back with like a blender and they keep trying to give me more. There's just, it's so much more about the interaction with other people and it brings something out of them. And that's, I think, what I love the most about the whole experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now you've kind of moved into the world of gorilla gardening. And we don't mean the, the, uh, the big monkey that, that beats its chest. We're talking gorilla like gorilla warfare here, right? right Can right. you talk about what inspired you to get involved? I imagine Ron Finley had something to do with that. Yeah, I mean, most definitely Ron Finley. And as I was kind of doing this in my front yard, I basically gorilla garden to my front yard for all intents and purposes and just saw, like, obviously, like I was saying, I do a lot on, on a big scale, but not everybody's going to just jump in that way. And there's a couple approaches, I guess, for gorilla gardening. Some of it is just to make a statement. You know, if you go plant something at a gas station, it, it's most likely not going to stay there, but people can kind of see it. You get it out there. It's fun. It's playful. Um, or you can actually plant somewhere an abandoned lot or somewhere where you're going to create a garden and keep it and maintain it and harvest it. But the idea was just to show people how to take small, simple steps, you know, a little bit at a time, kind of like I wasn't really going to provide for my neighborhood the first year, like I thought. Um, so, Maybe you can't do that, but can you plant a tomato? You know, can you go out, especially if you've never gardened, can you start with something small? And then you can kind of build off of that. So, you know, I plan around town, but I've not gotten to transform an abandoned lot yet. And that's mm. my dream. You know, I really want to, you know, but it's practice. I feel like so much about life is practice and just taking the next step, getting comfortable. Um, and a lot of guerrilla gardening is it's a playful way to practice civil disobedience, you know, because it may be hard to stand up for yourself in some of these bigger issues that we face that, you know, are going to keep coming and things may get harder. 
So it's, can you do that now? Can you do it on a really small scale where, I mean, if somebody stops you, what's the worst that's going to happen? Like you're holding a shovel and a tomato plant. Yeah. You know, if you've, yeah, write me a ticket, whatever you <laughs> do, dude. I mean, like, right. You can't do that. Okay. It's, I, I have a, a kind of a, a cool looking sports car. It's a challenger and they're very low in the front. And it's my philosophy with that. Like I'm not putting a front license plate on it. Right. They can pull me over. They've never, I've got like a console full of warnings. I'm not doing it. And so like, I see it like that. It's such a low risk thing. You just do it. You want to write me a ticket or a warning, whatever. I I got a community. We'll cover the ticket, whatever. I do have an an idea. I floated this long time ago in a presentation. Um, The same one I mentioned, I had Ron Finley in that like, if you could get some backers and buy like a vacant lot, dirt cheap, and then get a crack team and go in and like perma blitz it overnight release a press release and dedicate it to the city in the morning. Right. Now, well, and that, now pull it out. Now you've been on TV. It's been gifted to the city. It's a charitable donation. It's all planted. It's all beautiful. You're going to pull that out. Go Because the one thing they fear is, and I almost don't like saying this because they do it all the time anyway, but knowingly anyway, looking stupid. Right. So that would look really yes. dim-witted to be like, we're going to rip all this up. Like it was completely donated to the city at no cost. And so, I think we have to be more conniving in some of the things that we do. I think one of the other things that happened, like you mentioned, Ron, like the stuff he did in South LA, it got to the point where like the people valued it. Yes. So it's like, I don't think we're going to let you tear that out today. Like I, that's not going anywhere. Like my kids are fed by this. And I right. think there's just so many parts of the city and these small towns even that have gotten so written off, but they're real people that live there and people understand food on the table for their kids. There's a reason, like, one of the oldest cliches on the planet is I got to keep a roof over her head and food on the table. Right. And that's the whole point. Like, we're not vandals. And the idea is that you want to enhance the environment around you. So, you know, planting things around town is playful and fun. We're still really, um, like, selective in how we do that and where we put it. And we have ground rules. You know, we don't disrupt gardens. You don't, you know, there's certain things you want to do because you want to make the space better than when you got there. So it's nice to bring in flowers and other things, too. We actually did something fun in the square. So the mayor owns the building in the square of my town. It's like a karate building. And we went and he had all these big flower pots that had all these weeds and they were overgrown. So we bought like the nicest flowers we could find. And we had a mission in the middle of the night. And we went and just like transformed all around his space. And, you know, kind of more as a gift. Like we call it guerrilla gifting a lot. Like we want we want to be welcomed in our community. We want people to appreciate what we're doing and kind of make a name for ourselves in a good way. So, you know, the idea is really to enhance our environment and to be welcomed and wanted in the spaces that you're in. You know, and there's so many places that are vacant, bare, barren, and ugly. Uh There's no reason to go messing around with something that's well landscaped or well cared for. Like exactly. And, and if it's sought, I mean, if I can avoid busting sod i will i mean i'll do it when i have to but i I don't want to do it it sucks right it's just like the hardest thing in the world where if you can get a piece of ground that's pretty barren you can transform that really quick and a little bit of mulch goes a long way and like you said flowers like i interplant flowers right through my gardens because it benefits everything and there's a lot of stuff like that that's um well used in landscaping so it kind of makes things blend in more that are real it's really easy to propagate marigolds i mean right you, you find somebody's marigolds going to seed and you get a gazillion seeds for free um and there's so much like that there and you've got a great climate for doing it too 
So um, you have this group called the Vigilantes, right? The Vigilantes. It's the shirt I'm wearing. You're wearing one, too. Yes. What was kind of the inspiration and, and the purpose of that? What do you guys do? So this is really just to spread this message of food should be free. Um, and we also think that it should be playful. You know, we want to bring joy to people in the same sense. I think those things go hand in hand, really, that whole experience. So um, I wanted to teach people how to do this in creative ways, make us family friendly. You know, anybody can do this. doesn't matter how old you are. My nephews are some of my best gorilla gardeners. Um, so, you know, we're the vigilantes and it's all about play. So we get nicknames. That's where Blue Lotus comes from. Okay. Um, when you join the Vigilantes, you have a little bit of initiation. There's a couple challenges that you have to meet. And when you do, um, then you earn your nickname. Okay. And the nicknames are all based on produce of some sort, some kind of plant. And they get very creative. So like uh, one of my friends goes by Merlin. That's a kind of beet. Um, there's a friend that is Red Samurai, and that's a carrot. And so we get we get kind of creative with like giving ourselves characters almost um, just to kind of have fun. Um, and then we go out, whether you have people around you and you can do it together on a mission or you can do this all by yourself, but it's really just to get this message spread, how simple it is, you know, food should be free and it should be abundant and it should be everywhere. And so it's just to go out and spread it and teach people how, and you can form a group in your local area. You can go on your own doesn't matter just start planting you know just get comfortable getting yourself out there cool and just I'll, I'll i'll hit people real quick here that are chatting in the live stream on the fact that they might see a commercial on youtube during our live stream it should happen no more than once every 30 minutes and it should be skippable and i do that because i do have to monetize my content like sure. anybody else right just just so the people with the chatter there know i have something to do with it but i don't control it anyway let's let's keep going um so it sounds to me like the nickname thing, this is interesting to me. So uh, when I got out of the Army back in 1993, I spent some time on the Appalachian Trail. I hiked from uh, Pennsylvania. I did a section hike from Pennsylvania up to New Hampshire. And you kind of hook up with people there, and you form these little communities as you're going. And you end up with a trail name. But the, one of the things with the trail name is someone else has to give it to you. You uh -huh. don't get to pick your own. Is that how that works? Or do you, like, once you've earned it, can you kind of steer it? It, it can go either way. So some people just feel really inspired and they love to name themselves. Um, but a lot of people uh, will come to me and say, this is my favorite produce. This is whatever I really love. Okay. And I'll, I like to research and find like cool, quirky names that people don't know, like types of things. So it can go either way. It's really the preference of the person. Uh, for the most part, I've kind of given them out, which I think is fun. But every so often someone shows up and just tells me what they want to be. And that's great, too. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anyway, um, how does someone join? Like, is there, you said there's an initiation. Yeah. Right? So you got to get pelted with carrots or something, or you, you just show up and say you want to join. You got to know someone and know someone and have a secret knock for the door. How do, how do I become a vigilante? So, so there's a couple ways. Um, we have a website, and if you go on the website, you can scroll to the bottom, and it will show you how to sign up for our email and also how to join our, the Telegram channel. Um, and that's how you can kind of be interactive. So when you go on the website, there is a Vigilante starter kit and it's very simple. It'll give you your welcome letter and it'll give you all the instructions of how you want to join, how the initiation works. There's 
two challenges basically to officially join. Okay. Now, anybody can just start participating tomorrow. You want to go plant stuff, you're in. Sure. But if you want to get the nickname and kind of be in the club, um, yeah. this is kind of the steps you want to take. Um, so because people live in different seasons and it's not always going to be where you can just go buy a seedling tomorrow and plant it, uh, there's two challenges. So you either go plant a seed or a seedling in a public place or you make seed bombs. And we give you instructions on how to make the seed bombs because the whole point is we just want to see that you're taking action and that you're committed to this process. Um, and what we have is in that kit, you get these little plant stakes and it has our logo on the front, <coughs> excuse me, with a letter V. And so when you go plant something somewhere, you put that V down and that's our calling card. That's how people kind of know who we are. Take a picture of that. When we see it. We know you did it. Um, if you can't send us a picture, it doesn't really matter. It's really for you. But um, that's. That's the basics. You just have a few little challenges, things that are pretty simple, but just take a little bit of effort. And so that means that anybody anywhere can do this because you yes. obviously have a hugely active, uh, engaged community where you're at, but you're trying to sp uh, spread this yeah. uh, at a higher level so that others can participate and make it scalable, right? Right. Yeah, so when you get this kit, you'll get your uh, starter stakes. You'll get five stakes to start with so that you can get out in your own community and start spreading it. Uh, we encourage people to take photos because we'll put them on the website. We have an album up here that kind of shows our work, and we can display what you've done. Um, so we want to be able to just see – we want to see our bees all over the country. You know, we want to see this spread and just have our calling cards everywhere. And I'm kind of popping some of the yeah. image gallery up there. <laughs> there you are hard at work, watering with a milk jug and uh, just lots of stuff going on. Lots, I've seen lots of stuff with kids involved. Yes, Little we've had a Vegelante Junior kids. Day where we went to the park and they kind of did the perimeter. And, and there's a couple ways you can do this. So, you know, if you're just kind of traveling and you go put one in front of a restaurant somewhere, I don't know that that's going to survive. Yeah. But there's also a little more of a strategy, like in our town, we'll plant things where we know we're going to go. And the idea is to try to maintain it through the summer. So we plant them near the library, knowing that, you know, when my friend drops her kids off, she can water them. Or, you know, when, you know, my nephews would go up to the park, they had a little walking route and they would water everything. So we, we travel with water and we do actually go back through the year and, and harvest things and try to maintain it. If people don't notice or rip it out, you know, we've had people get excited and take care of it. We planted some at a church and they went and got a cage and kept it. You know, the fire guys down the street kept theirs. So, you know, sometimes people just take it over themselves and maintain them and that's awesome. Or we try to, you know, just have a route and go back. You know, and you got to think about it. A lot of these businesses and stuff, these people pay good money for landscaping. Uh-huh. So if you approach the right person with the right value statement of it'll look better and there'll be food there, um, they might be pretty receptive. Right. And I mean, we, we try to plant certain things by restaurants, hoping maybe they'd want them. Uh, yeah. We also started a great garden behind McDonald's. I just love the idea of having a bunch of organic food behind all the like fast food in town. So you can get actually real good food at McDonald's now, technically. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the you know, the, the restaurant thing, if they've got some land, that's actually, that's, that's maybe blending the two worlds and even getting into a business because right. I, I know several chefs here locally that they're very proud of the fact that they have a garden on site mm -hmm. 
And if you order something, there's probably something on the plate from that garlic garden, even if it's microgreens, herbs, whatever, something like that. And a lot of them would do it, but they don't necessarily know how. But I find like if you set up a garden, it's much easier to teach somebody to run a garden than teach somebody to make a garden. Correct. Like once you have yeah. a soil right, you know, you have kind of a schedule for harvest and for here's what you look for, here's when you water, here's what you do if you see a problem, you can call us, right? Like there's there's probably a business in that, but like give before you take would probably be a good way to launch it. Right. Yeah, we we definitely want to expand this because it's not just about guerrilla gardening, but it's just about sharing abundance and showing people how to do that. And there is so much land around here. You know, there's a lot of large churches and businesses that just have plots. And we would love to be able to get to the point, like as a crew, where we can go to businesses and show them how to set things up and how to get things started and run. You know, and the other thing that I've seen is that um, all the farms around this area have so much overflow. Like when people talk about food shortages, I crack up. Like that does not exist. I mean, have food you seen desert, a seed packet? Food <laughs> desert is one of the biggest nonsensical, made-up political yeah. BS terms on planet Earth. Yeah, there is no food desert. There is no food desert. There is no food desert. Just because everybody no. you know is shopping at Dollar Tree or whatever doesn't mean there's actually a food desert. There's a lack of knowledge and understanding. There's right. plenty of food everywhere, and if there's not food, there's food waiting to become food. I mean, look how many seeds are in one slice of a tomato. You've got like 40, 50 plants from a slice of tomato tomorrow yeah. if you want. And yeah. how many how many tomatoes are in each plant? Like, do the math. It's just, you know, a lot of what Ron Finley says is true. Like, food is money. It's It's money. It's currency, honestly. You know, but I see when I go to these farms that there's so much falling to the ground that they don't have time to even process. You know, there's so much going on. And, and I just really want to help manage that and just redistribute. Like a lot of the concepts that of the vigilantes is just about redistributing nature's wealth and getting yeah. it getting it into the right hands. You know, you have too much here. Let's make sure that we get it over here, you know, because there's more than enough to go around. I mean, and if you get a motivated community, Right around here, what I see are a lot of churches. They got this idea. We're going to put a community garden in. They put it in. Nobody does anything. Right. There's beds there. A lot of times there's irrigation available. Or maybe they need to, um, like, actually automate the irrigation or something to make it a little bit better. And, like, it's just sitting there. They're clearly receptive. So I'd say, like, if you're driving around and somewhere near you, you see a church with a bunch of beds and nothing's happening there. They just need some help. Right. Well, and a lot of these churches have their own food banks and they do a lot for the community. And I've tried and I haven't been successful yet in trying to get gardens for them specifically, but I'll just bring my things to them at this point. That's kind of the whole goal is just how can we get as many people involved in the process as possible? Because, you know, it honestly, it does something for your spirit to be a part of that and to contribute and to work together, you know, and, like if the people in the church can then come work, you know, help learn how to take care of it and tend it and be a steward of, you know, creation really like it benefits everybody. So if you think of the the story that Jesus fed everybody off the the mountain with, uh, I think five loaves and two fishes. Well, if you give me two fish in two years, 
and you give me the grain heads that make five loaves of bread, I can feed thousands of people too. Right. That's actually, to me, the lesson of that story. Right. Right. It's one thing to be miraculous, but of course, if you actually have God on earth, of course, God can do that. Is that really a miracle? Because God can sure. do anything. What's actually a miracle is a person with a pond and a male and a female fish can make tens of thousands of fish in a, in a season or three. And the grain heads that are used to make bread could be propagated, saved for a season or three and feed tens of thousands of people. Right. And yeah, and that's the point is we really, we want to teach people how simple it is for them to do this for themselves. You know, we want to teach them how to fish and there's, you know, again, I was saying there's a couple approaches to how you can treat gorilla gardening. So yeah. say you live in the city and you don't have a backyard and there's not even a porch to put a container but do you walk past like abandoned lots every day or just anywhere you could plant a few things just for yourself and water them when you're way to work every day and harvest them, you know, when you come home. So there's so many creative ways. I mean, just there's dirt everywhere. So <laughs> find a spot of dirt and use it, you know, so it there's many approaches to how you can make this work for yourself. But I guarantee that there's just unused space that. No one may even notice. You know, I went behind my grocery store. There's a walking path and we planted, I don't know, 20, 20 plants back there. Mm. No one's going to bother. No one's going to disturb it. It's not in the way of anybody. But now we got a garden. And if anybody stumbles upon it, hey, man, jackpot, feel free to pick it, it, you know, but we'll we'll maintain it. And so we just, you know, have pop up gardens all around. So in permaculture, we have zone based design, right? In zone one, we usually think it's closest in. But I always teach zone-based design is there's like, it's like designing a pond the right way. There's 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 uh, there's a lot of edge, and there's like peninsulas and there's like coves in a proper zone one because everywhere you go every day, as a matter of your just lifestyle, is zone one. It's not these circles that we see in a, a slide deck in a permaculture class. What you're really talking about is expanding zone one off your own site. If I go by that place every day, every other day, and I can easily, you know, keep in my car or whatever, a gallon of water, and I can water a couple, three plants, that becomes a new extended version of my zone one. I've now off-sited my zone one. Right. Which is a, a really unique and kind of cool way to think about things. Right. It's just, it can be so much simpler. And I think... People get defeated easily. They'll say, oh, I live in an apartment. I can't grow anything. I'm like, well, what's down the street from you? <laughs> you know, yeah. like just just think a little broader. Just expand your horizon a little bit more and, and don't just settle, don't just accept. Well, I can't, you know, I can't provide for myself. There's always a way. Uh, I mean, we have like a situation here where like one of the main landscaping plants is I find it's hysterical. And the Dallas Fort Worth area is actually sweet potato. There's, you go through the summer and it's all irrigated places and it's all pansies and stuff, but like uh -huh. there's sweet potato vine as a ground cover everywhere. Nice. And I'm always like, what happens at the I, end and of the season? All of those tubers, you know. Right. And it's not just supposed to be decorative, you know, but there's, there's um, groups of people. I would love to find some. I would love to recruit some to the vigilantes that are uh, gorilla grafters and they will yeah. go into cities and go where there's just trees lined that are barren and they will graft fruit bearing trees onto them. Yes, it's like, why not? You know, we pay people to, to do landscaping and to maintain the land, you know, and I guarantee people would volunteer to go pick that fruit, you know, like yeah. you don't even need to pay people. I'll do it, man. I'll go to my park and take care of the apple trees. 
So, you know, there's just so many cool ways that to use what already exists and what's already there. Like, why shouldn't it be food instead? It just doesn't make sense. It should be. And like down here, this isn't a great climate for most fruits, but like what grows here like crazy is pecans. Oh, nice. Before all the uh, nonsense came into this idea that in public spaces and parks, we didn't want food production because it makes a mess when it falls on the ground. There's some older parks and strips and stuff that are full of like really old pecan trees. And they're totally not going to cut those down because people, what are you, what are you doing? Right. You're cutting down a 50 year old pecan. And no, it doesn't lay on the ground. There's literally, you'll see during the season where the nuts drop, you'll see cars lined up and people out collecting food because food costs money. Right. I mean, People will volunteer. They do it. (laughs) The only good thing about inflation right now in the food space is it's making people think this way more. Right? When you go to the store and you come out with a cart full for 200 bucks, you're you're feeling pretty good about yourself. When you come out with a bag for $200 and you see food right there, you start to think a little bit differently. Wait a minute. Why are we doing things this way? Right. I'll see people in the grocery store buying peppers and tomatoes, and I'm like, um, you need to come over to my street first, like drive yeah. by yeah. my front yard before you go to the grocery store and, and see what we've got first. And, and it's going to be free. So if it's be better off, I want a fresh pepper. I kind of understand, but if it's yeah. the height of the season when like I'm throwing peppers at people, like I, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. with you on this. Right. Um, what advice would you offer to others with that want to do this or maybe just other unconventional ideas? Uh, I would say the first thing is just don't limit yourself, you know, don't look at all these parameters and think like I can't do it, you know, and the next thing I think is just to start small and start simple, but it's always just about taking a step forward and, and the biggest thing is our motto, like, don't ask permission, you know, you don't have to, you know, give yourself that permission, if you have an idea, then pursue it, you know, and don't, don't let the little obstacles stop you like you you need to keep moving forward with this all right folks i have a few questions uh this is kind of last call i'm going to bring this this is not the first question we're going to do this is the last one to come in but this is how to format your questions if you're in live feed so that i can see them the word question in all caps followed by the actual question and let's start off with hogus 14 uh do they put classes on too and i remember when he was asking he was talking about you guys your local group including things like maybe canning or something like that. Are you doing anything like that yet? So not necessarily classes for the, like the community at this point, I am a part of like a local community here of friends and we do workshops and we do host some things. Um, We have cans together um, and the whole goal is to be able to expand out more. So that's definitely in the works and something that I think is really valuable. So one thing I think would be great to figure out how to integrate for anybody doing what you're doing is you have all these relatively close together housing units, right? And they all have a waste stream. And so on-site local composting drop points and things like that and getting people actively composting I think would be huge because there's so much land that's like, yeah, that's available, but it's like this really hard compacted clay. Right. But I promise you this, throw down a layer of compost and a layer of wood chips and just walk away and come back and and especially if you were to kind of gild the lily with the worms and throw down some old chicken feed or something underneath the compost, 
come back and you're going to find clay turning into soil, right. plantable. Like the only thing you have to worry about if you take that approach is, you know, certain volunteers will be stimulated. <laughs> right. Yeah, we get a lot of volunteers that way. <laughs> but there's such a waste stream available. And like it's a waste stream. It's like what people think of for compost. Like um, I peeled a banana. I ate the banana. I have a peel. Okay. That's everybody thinks that way. But right. it's other waste streams that like I'm. You know, I have my big piece of land, but I'm a little bit envious of everybody's got fencing. Nobody around here rakes a leaf. But down in town, every year, the leaves fall. And instead of going, hey, look, there's free food for my lawn, they all rake them up and bag them up. And that's yeah. carbon, right? And then the guy comes in and mows the lawn, and then they have this giant pile of glass clippings that he puts in a truck and he takes away. And there's your nitrogen. Put those two things together, and right. they're like, woohoo, let's have a party. Right. So it seems like that would be something that's maybe an educational angle, but it's also like an activity angle. Right. Yeah. Anything that can be interactive and that, you know, people can contribute from multiple areas is always the best approach. Well, yeah. When somebody says, what do you want from me? I want your garbage. But let me be specific. <laughs> like, I don't want all your gar. I want like a sorted waste stream. Right. <laughs> I've literally put like on next door, like if you have leaves you want to get rid of as long as it's a garbage bag with just leaves in it. It's not your diapers or whatever. You can just pull up and throw them over my fence. Right. No one does it. Right. No one does it. But I think it's because I'm far enough out that it would be out of their way uh, to do it. But like you can't come up with organic matter that I know the source of that I won't take. Like I will cover, I would bury my property this deep, two foot deep for those not watching the video, doing audio in leaves or wood chips or whatever, if I could get my hands on it, I will never like at some point I might be like, we need to export. Right. But right, right. now I would take every bit I could get. So, um, K bonk. And I've, I've kind of answered this, but where is blue Lotus? What part of Pennsylvania? I said near Philly. I don't know if you want to be any more specific. Than yeah. That. I'm in, I'm in South PA. So I'm actually about an hour, hour and a half outside of Philly. I'm in a pretty small the town. West? So I'm I'm about 40 minutes from the Maryland line, actually. Okay. It's a little small town. Okay. But out toward, like, Lebanon or? I'm, I'm about an hour from Lebanon. Okay, so you're in between. Okay. Yeah. Where you're at. I grew up shaking around there. Um, like I said, further north, and you up where Yingling beer comes from, and that's it. That's all. Yingling beer and coal. Uh, <laughs> Marco says, what about when fruit is not just being collected on public trees? So, in other words, the drop problem with gorilla grafting. Well, unfortunately, I don't know any of them, so I haven't really got into that part yeah. enough to have the experience with it. I just know people do it, and I think it's awesome. Yeah. I guess that's one of those things, if you saw that becoming an issue, that's when it's time to kind of get out to the community and say, hey, we need some Let's volunteers, or we need, yeah, you know, have picking days or, you know, organize, you know, some kind of group to get together and do that. And, like, parks have these things called squirrels and birds, and they eat that stuff. It's not... Yeah. I don't know that it's the problem people make it out to be. Now, if you planted a hundred completely well-managed apple trees and let all that drop, that could be a problem. When I was stationed in Panama years and years ago in the military, um, during the mangrove drops, you know, when you were running past those, it was kind of nauseating to be running in a giant formation full of hungover, drunk people sweating alcohol and run flat past rotting mangoes. But, we're so far from that problem. I don't think that we should worry about problems we don't have yet. Yeah. And if you're gorilla grafting on fruit trees and there ended up being too much, well, it's tip grafting. Prune that graft off. Like, this is not hard. Like, no. 
And the point is, you know, like I was saying, you want things to be a gift to your community. You want yeah. it to enhance it. So you don't want to give or put something out there that you're not going to help maintain or manage in some way. You know, if I get to the point where I finally get that abandoned lot, you better believe I'm going to be there maintaining that lot, sure. keeping it beautiful and harvesting it. I'm not just going to walk away and hope that people show up and take it. Now, if they did, that'd be awesome. If I showed up and someone's watering and, you know, helping out with it, I'd be thrilled. But, you know, you have to follow it through as well. So, you know, you don't want to just be irresponsible with what you put out there. This one's more of an idea. He said, maybe I should email this one. But what if I built a trailer that basically is an automated applesauce maker Put jars in the door and applesauce in the hopper and uh, jars come out with people use it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's a matter of finding enough of a surplus to introduce the solutions to the surplus. But, I mean, I like that idea. I've talked about doing that with uh, a trailer to go around and do, like, chicken processing as right. well. Like, I mean, I just had a gal on not long ago, and she's a custom butcher. She has a huge RV that's a butcher shop, and she literally pulls up on somebody's farm and butchers their cow or their pig for them. I think you can do anything, right? Right. I think you just have to be inspired by what's around you, you know, and that's why, you know, that motto of when life gives you tomatoes, make salsa. I had more tomatoes than I knew what to do with, and no matter how many I gave away, when you plant, you know, 50, 60 tomato plants and they start producing, all of a sudden there's a lot, and I'm sitting there in my kitchen like, what do I do? Well, I learned how to make salsa and can it. And, you know, now that's part of my business. So, you know, if you live somewhere with an excess of apples, applesauce sounds awesome. You know, do whatever, wherever you are, whatever you have, utilize those resources to your benefit. So how do people find out more about you and all the stuff you got going on? So you can go to the Vegilantes website, which is uh, thevegilantes.net. And that will tell you how to get your starter kit. If you go to the bottom of the website, you can sign up for our email and you can join the Telegram channel. And the channel is connected to a chat, which I I set them up backwards. So the channel is still not very many subscribers because I started the chat first and then I retroactively added it. Um, But if you get on that, you can join the chat. You can just interact. It tends to just focus a lot more on gardening. I'm really trying to still shift more to get people interacted with the gorilla gardening part. But I'm just happy to see people are passionate about planting things at this point. Um, so, you know, you can kind of find us a few ways interactively. So I have all of the stuff you sent me as far as links, including the Telegram stuff and some other things already in the show notes for today's show. Uh, that'll be on the audio side on my website, the survivalpodcast.com. Right down in the video notes below this video, if you're watching it on video, there's a link. Click that. You can get over there. If you click it right now, this moment in real time live, there won't be anything done. There won't be anything there. We're not finished yet. But it'll be about 30 minutes after we close down the live feed. That will be available in perpetuity or until the NSA nukes my website or something like that. But anyway, Blue Lotus, I had a great time chatting with you today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, with that, I want to wrap up real quick. I'm not going to go long on this because it's the same item of the day that I had yesterday. Uh, I'm a big believer in saving money and then still doing better. And one way to do that right now, especially if you have a family and you are uh, using a lot of lunch meats and things like that, that stuff's gotten stupid expensive. I'm talking like I was at the grocery store the other day and I checked just to see like honey ham and stuff like that in the deli case, 12 to $18 a pound roast beef, all those things. With a meat slicer, you, that's just one thing you can do. You can make your own. Uh, get yourself an eye around, throw it in the oven for about 15 minutes per pound at 350 degrees, and when that 
the time's up, you shut the oven off, leave it alone, and let it cool all the way down, throw it on a meat slicer. It's better roast beef than you'll ever buy. That's just one example. Um, at Costco, I've seen ham, and the same ham is a full piece sitting two feet apart, apart on the shelf, and one is seven, eight dollars a pound less. Put it on a meat slicer, make your own, make pepper steaks. If you, a grass-fed beef, and I grow my own beef. Yeah, take some of that, take some of that beef. Throw it in the freezer, par-freeze it. Take that big cut of beef and make your own pepper steaks out of it like they enjoy in uh, southeastern PA, right? Uh, except you're using, instead of steakums, you're using real meat. It's just a great tool to have. The one I selected, and I had a lot of questions about it before I picked one, is made by a company called, I said yesterday, Vever. It's Vivor. Uh, John Willis from SOE corrected me on it. It's awesome. Uh, it's under 300 bucks. If you're using it the way I'm talking about it, it will pay for itself. And you can read my write-up and look at my video on it. But the big reason that I selected it is they have a, a hole in the disc that is the blade that's tapped. There's an adjustment knob that comes off the back. This means you can screw it, screw, screw it into that disc before you remove that disc. And so you're not holding a 360-degree razor blade that can cut your hands multiple times and trying to work with it. You actually have a handle. Why would you do that? Because when you cut stuff on a meat slicer, you need to take it apart and clean it before you put it away because otherwise you have gook and schlick growing things in the back that you do not want touching your food. Uh, with that, I just remind you real quick before I sign off, the way I pay the bills around here, and I mean the real way I pay the bills is with members to the member support brigade. If you use the discounts, it costs you nothing to be a member. I have not met anybody yet that said I've tried to use the discounts on things I already buy and could get my money back. 50 bucks a year, it's 18 cents an episode to support the show that you've been listening to, hopefully for a long time, and we'll continue to do so. With that, I'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way